For the last few weeks, we've been talking about presence, and uh, this to me has become huge. And I've been trying to get that across. That's why I've been spending so many weeks on it, obviously. But uh, to me, presence is, is everything. And I think to Jesus, presence is everything. If you really break down his ministry, all centered around kingdom, kingdom really is the quality of life that we have in presence. It's all about presence. Presence is the ticket in the door. Presence is the door. Just as sobriety is to recovery, presence is to the spiritual formation and the process that we're going through. And the reason sobriety is so important is that if you're in the midst of your addiction, you can't be present. And so it all fits together. Presence is everything. It's the ground on which everything else is laid. And presence is nonverbal. I mean, the presence we're talking about is not something we think about because as soon as we think about it, we're not present anymore. Presence is something that just eases down beneath the words, beneath the cognitive thought. And I got uh, critiqued a few weeks ago about not doing enough about the how and the process. How do we get to these places that I'm talking about, whether it was prayer or presence? So I'm trying to do more of that in each Sunday. Even though the effect is all about the process, if you're here, I'm trying to get that into the messages as well. So we're going to do something a little counterintuitive this morning, at least at the beginning of the message, because I want you to think about this whole relationship uh, that is based in process, in, in presence, and it's a way that's a little bit of a brain teaser, I think, to a certain extent. And then the whole idea is that once you sort of get these relationships, then you're supposed to let them go, you know. And so that's the idea here. But if we can understand maybe the relationship between presence and awareness and focus, then maybe we'll be able to more easily move into these places in our daily lives and in our prayer time. I was asked um, just a couple of days ago, what is the difference between awareness and focus? And I thought, that's a pretty interesting question. What's the difference between awareness and focus? Now, he was assuming that awareness and presence are the same thing because we were talking about presence, and so he just said awareness and focus, but assuming that presence and awareness are the same, but I want to make a distinction between the two of them. Because I don't think presence and awareness are the same in the way that we're using them, at least. Because you can be present without being aware. Right? I see a couple heads going up and down. Think about small children, completely present, but they're not yet aware. <laughs> the parents' heads are going up and down again, you know? Think about your dogs, your cats, completely present. They're not distracted by past or future or any other thoughts other than what's right in front of them, but they're not aware at the same time. Presence is the quality of having absolutely no distractions that would take you away from the present moment, take you away from the here and the now. So if you are in a state where there are no distractions, then you can say that you are present. But awareness adds consciousness to presence, okay? Consciousness of our surroundings, consciousness of who we're with, consciousness of what is going on in our environment. So to be fully present, as we are talking about presence, it is undistracted here-nowness, okay, if you want to call it that, plus a conscious awareness of yourself within the moment. Is that making sense so far? Just like you here right now, you know, you're physically here, and those of you on the camera, you're physically where you are. Are you consciously aware 
or are you completely checked out? So we want to say that full presence, the way we're using it in a contemplative sense, is really presence plus awareness. Undistracted presence, undistracted here nowness, plus a conscious awareness of yourself within the moment. Now, focus is concentration. Focus is to awareness as a laser is to a floodlight. Okay? Awareness is being aware of the broad spectrum of what's around you. Focus is when you take that concentration and bring it to a point. Bring it right to a thought. Bring it right to something that's in front of you. A thought, a person, a task. That would be focus. Focus is concentrated awareness. Now, focus can destroy presence if it focuses on something that is not here and now. I mean, that's what we're doing in meditation. That's what we're doing in centering prayer. That's what we're doing in our contemplative practice, isn't it? Cynthia Bourgeau has a, has a great way of looking at, at this and calling it choiceless awareness. The, the, the quality of being in centering prayer, being in that present state, she calls choiceless awareness. And what she means by that is that none of your awareness has been brought to a point to bear on anything, either an emotion, a sensation, a thought, either past or future, anything that takes us out of the moment. So the presence that we're looking for offline when we are carving out time for centering prayer, meditation, contemplative prayer, is this idea of choiceless awareness. It's presence and it's awareness, but it doesn't have a focus. It doesn't have one thing that we're focusing on. Mindfulness, what we do during the day, would be presence plus awareness plus focus. But the focus is only on the task at hand. It's only what you're actually doing at the moment. The conversation you're having, the job that you're doing, nothing else. A lot of people in sports will call this flow. Probably heard that before. In, in, in any kind of performance art, whether it's music or whether it is it's painting, you get into a state of flow where you're present and you're aware and the focus is so tight it's right on what you're doing. It almost feels like you can't make a mistake. Everything is there. Time even expands and kind of slows down when you get into this, this kind of state of flow. And so I'm trying to make these distinctions. Hopefully you're following the, the concept of it. Maybe a couple of illustrations. When I was writing, um, when I've written any of the books I've written, my personal home office is a loft. And so it's open to the rest of the house. And so you know, there's kids running through, especially when I was writing the earlier books when the kids were smaller and they're running through and doing what kids do and the dogs are running through and doing what dogs do and delivery people coming to the door. I could have such a laser focus that I didn't hear any of that. It was only me and what was on the screen and the, the keys under my fingers. That was, that was it and everything that was going on inside. So I was present and I was focused, but I certainly wasn't aware of the rest of the house. You can ask Miriam. She could call me and I would not hear a thing. I was in another zone, right? And so there's different permutations of how we can put these three together, presence and awareness and focus, right? I just had someone who uh, emailed me a story and we were talking about, actually we were talking about emotions, but 
I thought the story also illustrated presence in a way. He said he was walking, and he's from uh, Germany, so he's in Berlin, and he's walking around out in the, on the streets, and he sees this group of, of young people that he assumed to be Christians because either they had come out of a church or they're coming right by a church, and they were so vibrant, so enthusiastic, exhilarated, just laughing and connected with each other and just you know exuding all of this exuberance and, and life. And he noticed them because of that, and he thought, wow, how great to be you know, that present to each other because they were just seemed to be having this great time. And then he ran into him a little bit later as he was getting on the subway. And as they were coming into the subway, they still had that same exuberance and same energy. But he said laying right at the entrance of the subway where they were going into the terminal was a man who was just lying there um, you know, in, maybe in distress, maybe homeless, whatever. And he said it was a hot day, the sun was hot, and this man was baking in the sun. And this group of, of young people just went right by him didn't even see him, didn't even stop and, or see if they could help or find out what was wrong in any way. And so they were present and they were aware within their own bubble, but that didn't extend to anything outside. They only had eyes for each other. So their awareness was constricted to a place where they couldn't see anyone outside of their own group. So awareness can expand or contract as well present? Yes. You could imagine in their state, they weren't thinking about anything but each other and the, fun, the, the time that they were having, but awareness was constricted. I had a father who contacted me a little bit ago, and he was talking about his 16-year-old daughter. And I don't think some of us, especially you know, when we get a little older, realize, you probably do, realize how much 2020 has affected our young people. He has a 16-year-old daughter who is devastated by the world that she sees, the COVID world, the world with the racial tensions and the unrest and, and, and the world that is being handed to her by her elders. She is f- practically frantic about it and consumed by it, constantly watching the news, constantly on the, the various social media feeds, and to the point where she was really, uh, shall I say, dismayed, upset, that her father wasn't actively involved in some way in doing something about what was going on. And so she was basically judging him because he wasn't involved in this. And the father, at the same time, has a younger daughter who really needs connection. And he wanted his 16-year-old to simply reach out to her and connect with her. But that wasn't her focus, you see. Her focus was out there someplace so that she couldn't see what was right in her own home, which always reminds me of Mother Teresa's amazing quote where she said, it's easier to send a cup of rice halfway around the world than it is to deal and love the people who are in your own home. It's a lack, it's, it's not a, it's a, it's a large focus now. Instead of a small focus, it's a way focus, but it's remote to what is happening. And so she is no longer present to the people in her home because she's so present and focused to this out there. It's, it's fascinating to me how this works and how we can go through all these different combinations of presence, awareness, and focus. But if we're really going to try to work at contemplative spirituality and spiritual formation, then we're going to need to know how to bring them all together how to let focus go sometimes, and then how to channel focus only on what's right in front of us. 
with an awareness broad enough to be able to see everything that's right in front of us. But it's still all about presence. Do you see that? Without the undistracted ability to be right here and right now, we can't have awareness and we certainly can't have focus that doesn't destroy presence. And without presence, we can't have relationships with each other. We can't have the kingdom experience that Jesus is talking about. It's still all about presence. There's nothing without it. But awareness and focus are essential as well. And so this practicing of presence is going to gradually build our awareness just by spending time here and now. And it's also going to allow us to be able to channel present focus at the same time. And there is a gradual buildup of awareness. If you have been practicing contemplative spirituality for any time, and I remember when I was starting out, I felt like my awareness was catching up to me. I could remember times that I was out of focus from a couple of decades ago, and I'd literally cringe sometimes at the memories uh, of how callous or how inconsiderate I could be, how and just completely oblivious to other people I could be. And then I remember as I went further along, it would be something that happened last year, last month, last week. And then there was a moment where I'm walking away from a conversation and I'm realizing I blew it again. I wasn't there. And that would give me the opportunity maybe to go back and try to mend a fence. And then as the words are coming out of my mouth, I realize what I'm doing. And maybe I can catch it. And maybe I just can't. And I'm mending another fence. And then there was that wonderful moment where before I actually said or did what I was going to do, I realized, ah, this is where I am breaking down relationship and stop, take a breath and make a different choice. And then there was actually the moment where I could see it coming. It's as if my awareness got out in front of me. This is where I always do X and then I always end up regretting it and having to mend defense and I can do Y and I don't have to go through that. It's like gra- gradually your awareness catches up to you and then gradually your awareness expands. Because we start out with awareness just big enough for our own self. That's it. That's all we got. And eventually maybe we can fit in one more person and maybe a family and then maybe a church, uh, a graduating class, you know, a tribe. Maybe it's a nation, you know, but it's only our nation. All those other nations out there are not our nation. But do you see how it works? As we continue to practice presence, our awareness catches up to us into real time, and it expands. And it's only when our awareness is actually real time that our behavior can change that our relationships can begin to improve. Because until it's in real time, we can't make a different choice. We are still completely beholden to our programming. And this bubble that grows outward, that brings more and more people in. This is the whole point of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? I mean, think about those religious Jews walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho completely beholden to their church, their tribe, their people. But this guy over here, nah, I can just walk on by. The one that can see that person as a brother in need and stop and bring them into the bubble of their awareness, that's the person that Jesus is talking about who is now living in kingdom. Her awareness has caught up and opened up. This is what it's all about from Jesus' point of view. When we can get into that kind of flow, everything changes. Now, why is this so hard? What does it 
in, what is it in us that blocks presence, blocks awareness, doesn't allow us to, to control and place our focus on what's right here and right now? You know, the irony of it all is that it's the very consciousness of our minds. It's our self-awareness. It's our egoic minds that are the same tools that we need to be fully present that are what block our presence at the same time before we've learned to use them as tools. If the egoic mind isn't harnessed, if it isn't brought into the present moment, then it'll keep us out of the present moment. And we've all experienced it. How many of you are sitting here right now thinking about something else? That is not harnessing the egoic mind and bringing it into the present moment. But at the same time, it is those tools that allow us not only to be present, but to actually voluntarily become aware. And then to focus on what's right in front of us during our waking moments. And so we need both at the same time. I have a friend... All the way from Vermont. It's, it's, it's been a great friendship for eight or nine years now. But I've only met him three times. And he lives in Vermont. And he just found the effect. And so it's been, we've been pen pals pretty much. And, and now he's got me on this new app called Marco Polo. I don't know if you ever heard of that. But it's a video app. And, you know, I hate doing videos. It just bothers me. But this actually works pretty well. You know, you just press one button and start talking. And then you press another button. Boom, it's gone. And then when I get a Marco from him... It's just him talking to me, and then I, when he's done, I press the blue button, and I talk back to him. And so it's delayed, but you feel like you're having this conversation. And I do it when I'm driving, so I'm just you know, not even paying attention to the camera. I'm just driving and talking to him. And it's working out really well. We've been having this interesting conversation. He's been talking about what he calls a narrative, okay, the narrative that each one of us has. This narrative is really the sum total of everything that we understand. It's our mindset. It's our worldview. It's our belief system. It's everything that culture has downloaded into us from childhood on. It's what our parents downloaded to us, our morals, our ethics. Everything that, that goes into everything that we think we know, that's our narrative. And my narrative is different than your narrative and different than my friends in Vermont. You know, we all have different narratives because each of us are individuals. Even if we're coming from the same family, the narrative is going to be slightly different. And so then he likened his narrative to a meadow. He says, okay, my life is like this huge meadow. He says, but now I got to build fences and I got to build edifices and homes and streets and, and I got to build a structure in there that is my narrative, you know. And then, it's, and then I need to understand the narrative. And so he was telling me about this elaborate metaphor for his, his belief system and worldview. And my response to him was, well, you know what? My whole task right now is to take all those fences down, you know, to take all those buildings down and to take everything back down to one big open meadow again. That's just one thing. And I thought that was a pretty brilliant response. But then he came back to me and said, no, wait a minute. I got to have this stuff in my life. What can I do if I don't have what I believe? I mean, how can I know even how to take the next step? How am I a part of a church? How am I a part of anything? And I realized he's right, you know. And I was right too, though. I'm going to defend myself a little bit. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And then that really started to open up the conversation between us to realize, yes, we all have a meadow. We all have a field, right? But we, and we all start building on it from our earliest memories. And that's really the first half of life, isn't it? 
The first half of life is building on our meadow and creating that, that city, that town, that, that, that place, that structure in our lives that, that governs the way that we move through life. But the second half of life, and I was thinking it was about taking it down, but I realized it's not. It's not about taking down everything that has been built. It's starting to realize it and see it for what it really is. To see that it is something that we need to see through. It's a tool that we need, but we need to be able to see through it. Not tear it down. It has to be there. But we need to be able to see through it. Take a look at at this, this poem from Rumi that I read last week, but I want to spend a little bit more time with it because I think it captures what we're talking about here just beautifully. And it's a real famous line from the poet. And if, if you're wondering who Rumi is, he's, he's a medieval poet. And uh, he comes from the Sufi tradition, which is the mystical tradition of Islam. And I know, yes, we're crossing traditions here. But I love when someone from a different tradition is saying the same thing that Jesus says, because sometimes it can shed so much more light on what Jesus is going to say next, all right? But Rumi writes, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. I love this. Think about this, what he's talking about here. The right and the wrongdoing that he's talking about. Those are the fences. Those are the edifices that we build. Those are the rules that we have been taught. That's the belief system that we have inherited and that we have built into our lives. The cultural ideas that have just been imbued into us, that have taught us that this is the way that we must relate to each other. This is the way that we must relate to our society, to our family. This is it. But there is a deeper awareness beneath or transcending those edifices in our lives, the ones that we built. A deeper awareness that can see through the fences made of right and wrong and rules and cultural distinctions. There is a a fence, there is a field, there is a place beyond all that where even the distinction between each other, the way we understand our separation, our our I-ness, as opposed to someone else's, is lost in the deeper awareness of the true nature of things, which is everything is one thing. Everything is connected. We need to realize that the task is not to tear down the fences and the buildings that we build up, but to see them for what they are as these necessary tools, and then to see through them. Let them become more and more transparent, aware of the oneness beyond. That's the first and the second half of life journeys. Building all of this up so that we can survive and have families and have jobs and do what we need to do in life. And then secondly, making them more and more transparent 
so that's not all we see as who we are and of ourselves, and that they no longer divide us one from another. Jesus is saying exactly the same thing, but so differently. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, starting right at verse 17. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come, in, come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches them to others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he's blowing people's minds here in his time. And even that last statement, whoever annuls the least of the commandments is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps them is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But he finishes off at verse 20 with unless you surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. Who kept the law better than the scribes and the Pharisees? Nobody. They were absolutely OCD, obsessive and compulsive about those laws. They wrote thousands of other laws in front of the 613 written laws so that they wouldn't break any of them. The people's minds have got to be spinning here. Now, he spends the rest of the chapter redefining the law, and we're not going to get into that today. But look at what he says in that second line. First he says he's not going to abolish, he's going to fulfill. And then he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now what we need to understand is that pass away has a very special meaning in Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke. The word he used is abar. And abar literally means to cross a boundary or cross a threshold. And in this case it would mean to merge to stand on that door sill that Rumi is talking about, the liminal space that we spent time talking about, where the two worlds touch and merge together. Jesus is literally saying, until heaven and earth cross their boundaries, merge and touch, the law is absolutely necessary. But not a moment beyond that. Because the law is designed to get us to that field beyond just the code of the law, beyond just the wrongdoings and rightdoings, and back to the unity of the oneness of everything. If we let the law funnel us and keep us and guide us long enough on this journey to get to the place where we realize that we have now merged the oneness and the unity of heaven with the individual form and diversity of everything that we see in this earth, in our hearts, when we reach that connection point, we are the law. The law is fulfilled in our hearts because we will do things that look like law, that fulfill the intent of law naturally because we have gotten to this place. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. The rules, the fences, the egoic distinctions that our minds make are only needed until our awareness merges heaven and earth. And to know this place and this purpose of law and the fences is absolutely key because we think they're absolute. We think that they're everything that we need to obey in order to be approved by God, by each other. That's not it. 
but they're also not to be thrown out. They have a necessary function. But eventually the function is to be transcended. And this is what Jesus means. Once we surpass the small awareness, right, the small righteousness, the rule following and obedience of the scribes and the Pharisees, then and only then can we get to the experience of kingdom that Jesus is talking about. This place of oneness, this place of deep connection. Yes, our edifices are still there. And we use them every time we talk to another person. But they're gauzy now. They're transparent. We can see through them to the unseen reality. Our awareness has gotten to the point that it not only includes everyone around us, but it also includes the unseen aspects around us. That's where Jesus is trying to take us. Think of the stages of spiritual growth that we've talked about. Scott Peck's four stages, one through four. The first stage, basically awareness is only large enough for the self. And we are governed by our own needs, and everything that we do is justified by those needs. But then when we enter stage two, then our awareness expands to include the entire group, whatever group that is. Maybe it's only our family. Maybe it's our tribe, our nation. But it's just the group. And that group is our now our salvation. And we adhere to the rules, the edifices of, and fences of that group, think. And then in stage three, when life does not play by our rules and kicks us out, and the trauma or whatever happens that causes us to lose our identity with that group, now we're in stage three. And we have the option to go back to stage one or stage two, double down, or we can continue through that wilderness, continue through that place of disturbance and, and disorientation to stage four, where the awareness opens up completely to include everything that can be known to us in any given moment and extends even to the unseen. This is what the stages of spiritual growth are really trying to tell us. All of Jesus' teaching, all of Jesus' ministry are built on presence in order to build awareness that extends beyond, beyond what our culture would normally dictate for it to be. Awareness and presence that is big enough to include everyone and everything that is seen and unseen. Jesus doesn't talk about presence or awareness. I realize that. But he talks about love constantly. And for Jesus, love is bringing others into your bubble of awareness. That's what it means to love someone. To bring them into your bubble. To see them as you see yourself. To see no distinction there in terms of the way that you treat them, the way that you think about them, the bond that you feel with them. Love is bringing others into the bubble, reaching beyond self, beyond family, tribe, nation, all the way to the enemy that Jesus talks about, the outcast, the infidel, the one who doesn't believe what you believe, the one who doesn't practice what you practice follow rules the way you follow rules, and one who is actively in an adversarial relationship with you, persecuting you. Can our awareness open up that big? 
The true love that Jesus is talking about, the love that will define kingdom for us and the kingdom experience is one that has no fear. No fear of these people that are outside our bubble, that were outside our bubble, that doesn't take offense to people that are not like us, that haven't been raised like us, that don't play by the rules that we play. True love that Jesus is talking about is completely free because it is completely unlimited in its awareness. And we can bring our focus to bear anywhere we want to in any given moment as love would require. And all of this that Jesus is talking about, everything that Jesus does that is recorded in the New Testament, in the Gospels, culminates at the cross. Everything is driving toward the cross. And this is the way that we need to understand the cross. If we limit our understanding of cross just to appeasing an angry God with a perfect blood sacrifice, that puts us into a passive place, and it misses the fullness of what Jesus is trying to show us here, what the writings are trying to show us. Because having the kind of awareness we're talking about under ideal circumstances is one thing. But what about when you're under duress? What about when you are being attacked? What about when you are suffering? What about when the pain is so great that you can barely stand it? Can you hang on to your awareness then? Can you live with complete integrity? Does your faith remain intact, regardless of what is happening at any given moment? The cross is the example of ultimate duress. Think of the circumstances of the cross. Think of what was really going on there. Think of the complete abandonment that Jesus must have felt, not just from his people, the ones that he had bent over backwards to serve, to heal, to teach, giving them everything that was in him, but his closest friends, they scattered and ran at the same time. Peter denies him three times, one of the closest ones to him. He is beaten, he is tortured, and he is crucified in the nude because that's what the Romans did. Can you imagine any more humiliation to be hanging on a tree, nude, bleeding, everyone jeering you, the soldiers completely indifferent, indifferent to your pain, none of your friends there. How in the world, under those circumstances, do you hold on to your awareness? Jesus is showing us how that works. And the Gospels are beautiful for recording the moments that we can hold on to that show us what is happening here. Jesus does not waver, but remains and retains perfect love through everything and shows us what that looks like. Total presence. He remains present through the entire ordeal. Do you remember, recorded in the Gospels, where the soldiers put a sponge soaked in bitter wine and gall, they call it, put it at the end of the spear and put it up to his lips and he refuses it. What the gall was was an extract from plants, probably myrrh, that was used as an anesthetic. And so between the alcohol and the, the anesthetic, it would deaden his pain. But guess what? It would also deaden his ability to be present. He refuses it. 
He stays perfectly in the moment. He endures what needs to be endured, and he takes nothing that will deaden or take him out of that moment. He exhibits total awareness. What does he say at one point? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about what that means. He is aware enough to see everyone out in this crowd completely unaware of what they're doing, actually ascribing virtue to what they're doing in many of the cases, not seeing the hurt, able to be in that place and doing the things they're doing, mocking him, exulting in his pain and in his imminent death because they're completely unaware of him as another human being, a fellow human being. He is not in their bubble, but they're in Jesus. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He still wants the best for them. He still is loving them as best he can pinned to the cross. Total awareness, total presence, and total focus. He looks down and he sees his mother. At least his mother is there. And John is there, one of his closest friends. And what does he say? Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He can focus at that moment to the needs of his mother. He was the head as the oldest child in his household. He is giving his mother to one of his closest friends so that he can take care of her as he can no longer do. Total presence, total awareness, total focus in one of the most difficult situations a human being could find him or herself. He does not waver. That's it. That's what everything comes down to that Jesus is trying to teach us. This full picture of love expressed as total presence, total awareness, total focus, right here, right now, regardless of what may be happening or who may be perpetrating what is happening, to hang on to that. For us here now, practicing presence, when we can, under easy circumstances, the best of circumstances, at home in the morning or at night, mindfulness during the day, that constant practice, coming back to here and now, back to awareness, back to focus that is in the moment, creates the ability for us to stay more and more present that will build our awareness and allow us to place our focus in the moment where it needs to be. Look at our world right now. You know, that 16-year-old girl is not wrong. The world is a mess. Look at what we're doing to each other right now. And everything that is happening from social media to social unrest to whether we wear masks or not, everything that we are going through, this election upcoming, is a, is a function of people not being present to each other, not being aware of each other, not being able to stay in the door sill, on the door sill, in the doorway, to see that even though we differ in many ways, more deeply we are completely connected and we are one. And we can never act that way. And our conversations will never go that way until we can allow our awareness to include the other person. 
This is kingdom. This is who Jesus is and is trying to show us. We cannot approach the Father. We cannot be one with the Father until we can be one with each other, until our awareness includes not only everything that is seen in this moment, but everything that is unseen at the same time. It starts with presence. If we can value and love presence so much that we will continue to practice it day in and day out, without even knowing about it, our awareness will build. It will catch up to us, and it will grow to include even those that we right now we don't like very much. If you're a Republican, it will include a Democrat. And if you're a Democrat, it will include a Republican. And everyone else that seems so at odds with us right now. Imagine if we can love each other even as we debate the issues and work out a way to go forward. It can only happen in presence, in awareness, and in focus, as Jesus has showed us how to do, and ultimately on the cross. Keep that in the foremost of your mind and see if that can help you to continue to take the steps that will take you where he went which was what he asked us to do. Follow me. This is how that works. Let's pray. Father, we want to follow. (laughs) I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief. We want to follow, but it is so difficult. It requires everything from us, and you know that. You've showed us that and told us that. Help us to understand that anything that we have to let go of that we think is us will come back to us if it's true. And anything that we leave and never come back to won't be missed in the relationship that we can have with you as it grows deeper. Help us to realize that the risk that we feel, the fear that we feel, even though it's real, is unfounded ultimately in you. There is no fear in the love that you have for us, and there is no fear in the love that we can have for each other in you. So help us to do whatever we need to do to find it more and more deeply. Father, we're so grateful to you for everything that you've done and given us and continue to. Never let us forget. We can only do anything in return because you were here first. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.